Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that we all do. We all have defenses, and Crystal and I are going to get into the nitty-gritty of what defenses are, what that looks like, and hopefully you find it informative. So as Crystal usually says, if you want to learn and you want to take notes, get your uh, pen and notepad out because today will be informative. Yes, but before we get started, you know how we do. What are you holding in? Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> I forgot about that. I don't know. I, I think I'm holding in uh, anger, resentment, and I can't tell where it's coming from just yet. But, like, I know I'm angry. And um, at the same time, I'm trying to be appreciative of things because, like, a lot of good things are happening. But I'm just annoyed and angry. What about you? Um, <clears throat> I think I'm holding in a lot of, like, I don't want to say they're conflicting emotions because I think they can all exist at the same time. I think there's just a lot of different things. There's a part of me that's like, fuck, I'm back here in New York. What does that mean for me? And it's been a rough like transition back. So just like a lot of like not great things have happened. And I was like, of course, the second I get back, you know, like... you know legislation is being changed in this country or they're trying to change it you know like just my health I had a death in the family but then I also feel like hopeful like that I can create an environment for myself that I can thrive in so it's just a very and then things are just like chilled now like they were a little hectic and now they kind of like chilled out so it's just a very like interesting place to to be at. So I think that there's a lot of reason for me to feel negative emotions, but at the same time I also do feel like I have some sort of control and I don't feel like it's overtaking me unless I'm just kind of like suppressing the emotions altogether. Then that's another story, but I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get there if I get there. Uh, maybe we'll cross it today because um, you know, <laughs> holding feelings back is part of the defenses uh, that we engage in. But I get where you're coming from. This is a very, not just with regards to like what's happening personally, but just like in the, the, the larger scope, like a lot of things are happening that are affecting us individually, whether we see it or not. Depending on how mature your defense mechanisms are, you either notice it or you don't or you're just avoiding it. But this is a very interesting time to be alive. As always, I mean, I think everybody says that. I've come to realize there's always something worth kind of pondering and feeling like, oh, is this worth it? Or what's going on? And this is not how I thought my life was going to be. So I do get where you're coming from. Yeah. Cool. I'll figure it out. 
I that's the one thing that I'm holding on to. I do feel hopeful that I will figure it out. Maybe not about the world, but about my life personally. <laughs> All right, but we can just jump on in. Uh, like Sasha said, we will be talking about defense mechanisms today. You know how I do. I'm going to give y'all a basic definition before we get started. So we're all on the same page. So defense mechanisms are the unconscious ways that people defend themselves from feelings or thoughts that could produce anxiety, depression, hurt their self-esteem, just anything that can affect the ego, right? Um, If those feelings or thoughts become conscious. So Defense mechanisms are born out of survival. We develop them to protect ourselves. When we don't have any other resources for coping, we turn to defense mechanisms to help keep us safe. This is especially true for children because that's usually when we see defense mechanisms start if the child doesn't have healthy coping mechanisms like with a parent or trusted adult. So what defense mechanisms help you cope with is your reality. Defense mechanisms arise out of the inability or maybe just the fact that, like, we don't have time right now to cope because uh, we're doing something else. And we're going to get into more details with regards to, like, mature and immature defense mechanisms. Um, but essentially what it's helping you cope with is the world that you're living in. How do you integrate this kind of information into your internal world and that framework of how you view Um, yourself in relation to your external environment but you said something with regards to the ego and I feel like we have to take it way back because you never know who doesn't know this like for any psych people we know who we know who Freud is and what he contributed and we know what the id the ego and the super ego is but I think it's important especially when talking about defense mechanisms to talk about what the id and the ego are So the id is a part of the mind in which innate instinctive impulses and primary processes manifest, right? So like these are just like very uh, raw thoughts, feelings, desires that we want to engage in as human beings, whatever it is that you have on your mind or whatever comes to your mind for whatever reason, how you see the world. Um, The ego is a part of the mind that that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious, and it's responsible for the reality testing and a sense of personal identity. So this is where defense mechanisms kick in, right? Because we need the ego to help us function in this social world, right? Or else we'd all go mad. Um, And when the ego is trying to do that, it creates these defense mechanisms in order for us to actually uh, tolerate what's happening externally. As Sasha mentioned, defense mechanisms come from the ego in order to protect us. So they're part of they're an integral part of everyone's psychic functioning. Um, it's and it's not something that's inherently bad. However, it can become something that hinders you in your life because if it doesn't allow reality to set in, like Sasha says, then 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 we get into a place where it can become negative, And this is where we get this negative connotation for defense mechanisms. Defense mechanisms fall into two categories, primary or secondary, or immature or immature, right? So primary defense mechanisms start in early childhood, and they're used to stop unacceptable experiences or ideas from entering the consciousness, right? So we don't want to accept the reality. So 
they can become a little bit more problematic when they when we get a little bit older and we no longer need these defense mechanisms because we have other strategies as adults as we get older for coping. Um, but if we don't use those strategies for coping, then we get into the mature defense mechanisms, um, which are outgrowths of the immature defense mechanisms or the primary defense mechanisms and they're used to like Sasha said distort reality so some of the primary or immature defense mechanisms are withdrawal denial projection dissociation and just to give an example of how defense mechanisms go from this primary state where it's protective to problematic is if we look at dissociation, dissociation is when you become separated or removed from your experience, right? So you're dealing with something stressful. Um, You might mentally or emotionally disengage from the world around you. And when you're a child, that can be helpful if you are experiencing some sort of abuse, or let's say your teacher is yelling at you again for I don't know, the millionth time for no reason. It can become problematic when you become an adult because if you're still dissociating, it's possible that whether the experience is good or bad, if you feel overstimulated or overwhelmed by the world around you, you will disconnect from that world and you're not going to be present. And initially, even though it protected you from an experience that you didn't have the skills to deal with when you become an adult, it'll disconnect you from more than just the bad things it'll also disconnect you from the good things so that was a really good example of how if we don't develop these defense mechanisms uh if we don't mature essentially and that has to do with development and um the way we relate and attachment theory as well if you're not on that progression um you you essentially get stunted not just with regards to how you attach, but also to how you perceive the world. Um, So if you think about immature defenses, um, they're just set in place because there's a a very basic um, feeling of not wanting to deal with what's really happening in your world. Something very interesting about defenses is that they can kind of pinpoint where a person is at within their personality organization. So let's say you have very immature defenses and you've never developed. You're more likely to have a specific kind of personality. So when we're talking about coping with the reality of your world, what we're essentially saying is how do you deal with the the good and the bad, right? So there's different levels. There's three levels with regards to the personality. The first level is um, psychotic, and then there's borderline, and then there's neurotic, which a lot of us, especially intellectuals, fall underneath the neurotic group. So psychotic basically just means that your world is not based in reality, right? So this is where this idea of psychosis comes from. You can hallucinate, you can be delusional, you can be paranoid. You live in a world where your sense of reality does not match externally and you can't live in this in this world. It's very difficult, right? Um, when it comes to borderline, borderline personalities, they usually do this thing where they can live in this world, but they act out good and bad separately. They can't integrate the two. Um, So essentially what that means is that they you either see people or situations as all good or all bad 
And you flip-flop between these emotions because it's very difficult for you to integrate that a person can be good and bad at the same time. And these are things that we learn when we're really, really little. For example, if you're a two-year-old child and you're starting to recognize your own autonomy versus uh, your parents, up until that point, you see yourself as one with your parents. So whatever they do affects you and like there's no real separation. But once we start separating, a healthy child is able to look at the world and say like, okay, mommy and daddy are are their own person and I'm my own person. But it's difficult when mommy and daddy go and do something that doesn't involve the child or they leave, they go to work. There's this anger and resentment that comes up. And in order to cope with that, that stress, like that anxiety that you're referring to with regards to defenses, um, what they do is they start repressing. Right. So when we repress, it's actually and I know you're going to get into this, but when you repress, it's actually a healthier form of defending yourself because now you're able to tolerate both the good and the bad people with borderline personality makeups. They can't tolerate that. So at that point in time of their life, they weren't able to actually integrate or or adjust into the new into the new stage of their life. They kind of got stuck. Um, And then there's the neurotic which is essentially people like Crystal and I, right? You hear us do it all the time. We we intellectualize. We have different ways of coping with the reality of our world. It's not necessarily that we don't see it, but we we try to make sense of the world and integrate it in the best way possible so that we can feel at ease and essentially in control of our lives. So I did want to bring up the most common uh, defense mechanisms because I think that there are things that we see all of the time. And I feel like because so many people employ defense mechanisms, it's possible that you don't really see it as a defense mechanism or you don't necessarily see it as um, something that maybe you're using in excess. So of course, defense mechanisms, like we've said many times, are not bad. But I think when you c- continue to defer to a specific defense mechanism or certain defense mechanisms, it's a signal that you're not fully seeing yourself or you're not accepting the world around you. And it might be time to really ask yourself, like, are you accepting your own emotions? Are you accepting who you are in the world? Are you accepting what's going on around you? And are you able to integrate that into who you are as a person? So uh, the first one, and these are, again, the most common, this is not an extensive list, is projection. And I think we say that word a lot, like, oh, you're projecting, right? So really what it is, is when you project is you're attributing um, your own unacceptable feelings or desires onto someone else. Let's say bullying, for example. If a bully is making fun of how you look, how you dress, or something like that, usually it means that they're not okay with who they are. So they make fun of other people in order to feel better about themselves. Or, you know, someone, let's say you're moving out um, and you're moving out on your own and they're like, oh, but have you thought about this? What about this? What about that? Are you sure that you're ready? That might be someone signaling that they are not ready for their own next stage in their life. And they're putting that onto you because of their own fears and insecurities. I want to group these defense mechanisms as you start uh, talking about them, because it's important to know what's mature and what's immature, Mm -hmm. because um, I think that it's so easy for the general public to be like, oh, why are you so defensive? And it's like, well, these are actually good things. 
<laughs> right? Like it's showing that you're like a, a very high functioning human being at times. So it's not the worst thing. Um, so, but projection is actually the a more immature defense. And once again, it's because it's the inability to to cope with what's inside, right? So like, so your example with the bullying, maybe they've been bullied or maybe they feel insecure about something about themselves. So what they'll do is they'll start the bullying first because they can't tolerate a world where there's a possibility that people are going to bully them. So then they come out in front in line or they'll put that out there, um, which is why we project, right? There's this, in to- there's this, intolerance to the emotion that you're experiencing absolutely and next is another favorite (laughs) of folks and that's denial um and i think we all know what denial is but i'll give you a definition anyway and that's refusing to recognize or acknowledge real facts or experiences that could potentially lead to anxiety or a harsh reality or something that we're unwilling to accept Um, so I know that, again, this is one of those defense mechanisms that does have a place. Um, I know that denial is actually one of the stages of grief. And in regards to grief, sometimes it can be very helpful with denial within the stages of grief is kind of when someone passes away, when someone dies, it is very hard to kind of accept that reality that you're not going to see this person, that they're no longer a part of your everyday life or your world so in that sense it becomes healthy but when you start denying things about the self like let's say for example someone with a substance use disorder doesn't really accept or acknowledge that it's becoming a much bigger problem in their life and that it's affecting others when you've experienced that level of denial then it gets in the way of you being able to cope in a healthy way and i think about i don't know why with regards to denial i think about kanye west <laughs> but Kanye West is a number of things. Kanye West's ego is on super drive and he's constantly projecting, he's constantly defending himself. He's in denial of uh certain parts of reality, I think. Um and I think that has a lot to do with um how he tolerates his sense of self being um like that that image he's created and also the image that I think um, his mother has helped him create and the fact that she's gone now whatever I'm getting into very analytical uh, an analytical approach right now but I think it's because he he can't tolerate that world being shattered um, and a lot of the times that we deny things because we can't tolerate the reality that we want to accept right and I do want to speak a little bit about psychological fantasies because it plays into defenses Freud actually thought that psychological fantasies were a defense in and of itself. I'm not going to talk too much about Freud because he thought they were repressed wishes that we couldn't have. So then we kind of, we just kind of keep them in our own selves. And then through that lens, when we're in our minds, we see ourselves almost in third person and it gets confusing, but that's your ability to see yourself through yourself, right? And then the the, the image that you want to be seen as, and then when that gets shattered, um, your defenses kind of come up. But right now, what we mean by uh, psychological fantasies, it's just fantasies in the way we are relating to our world, right? Like, what do we wish? What do we desire? What can we tolerate? What we can't? Um, And having fantasies is not bad, just the same way having defenses is not bad. It just goes AWOL when you live in that fantasy and then it becomes your reality, right? Like, so 
with regards to defenses, it's also good to start looking at what you wish things were like so that you can start reality testing and see like, oh, am I being defensive? Am I kind of blocking this reality off because I want to accept something else that I've created in my mind? Um, so that's why I wanted to talk about fantasies a little bit because they it's intertwined with defenses. Agreed. And I think one thing about defenses that sometimes can be very difficult is I think that if you've employed them for a really, really, really long time, it could be hard to see um, your defenses um, and see how you're showing up. Later on, I'm going to get into my personal pet peeves, which are intellect- intellectualization and rationalization and I think we start to see how difficult it is to challenge your defense mechanisms um and I feel like sometimes it's hard also when people are maybe being abusive towards us right and gaslighting us and kind of distorting the reality that we actually see but I also feel like it's one of those things where if you feel like you're in a constant state of things don't work out the way that I want it to um you're not kind of like happy with the with who you are and how you're showing up in the world defense mechanisms might be something that you want to like begin to explore so that you're able to undo that and get to a place where you're more satisfied with who you are and how you're showing up in the world so another one that we see a lot is repression and again this is one of those defense mechanisms that has a real purpose um, and that's when you block difficult thoughts from entering into consciousness such as trauma or tragic experiences again this serves its purpose um, it serves for the purpose of survival however if we continue to repress those traumatic experiences can begin to shape how we view the world and how we see ourselves and how we interact with the people around us in a negative way if we don't bring those negative those traumatic or negative experiences into our reality at some point because like we've said in previous episodes trauma shapes your world it shapes how you view things it shapes how you act and if you don't address those things um you're always going to act from that from that traumatized place so repression is a higher defense mechanism right and the reason is because of the fact that we do this in order to integrate ourselves into the real world So when you're thinking about immature or mature or primary, secondary, higher defense, uh, lower defense, I guess, I don't know. Um, We, the difference, the main difference is your ability to integrate yourself into the world, right? So, and I just want to point out that, and I always talk about this, but it's so interesting to me how we're defining these things based off of our socialization and how you function amongst other people within Mm -hmm everybody else's reality testing right um so repression helps you cope with your everyday life without having to deal with the the ego trauma right Uh, Mm -hmm. of the situation itself so it's a higher uh functioning defense because of the fact that you can still be integrated into this world without being like abnormal or having difficulty adjusting but it does come to bite you in the ass eventually yeah, and I mean, I think with repression also, sometimes for for some people, it really is something that just kind of, like you said, comes to bite them in the ass because sometimes whatever you've repressed will come up in unexpected ways. And that's what I mean by you want to address it once you are able to 
to deal with whatever that is because there's there are many people who as kids may have repressed a traumatic experience and it's not until they're an adult that they realize like oh shit like this happened when I was a child and I did not remember it um so I want to be also clear that it's one of like Sasha said it's one of those higher defense mechanisms um but you definitely need to address it once it comes back up because you will continue to operate out of whatever behaviors you've I guess adapted in order to survive in the world if you don't address it once it does come up what what you're saying essentially is like you know how they say like you're not you're only as strong as your weakest link so if you mm-hmm. think about the the qualities within you like if there's something that you are avoiding it's going to hold you back just the same way like let's say you have a really big assignment due at work or school or whatever it is that like a deadline right and you're avoiding it and you're kind of pushing it back but and you're trying to have fun but then it's still in the back of your mind and there's like this level of looming anxiety over you because you haven't done it um it's similar to that right like it's always going to be present even if you're not thinking about it um another defense mechanism that might be maybe hard to i guess identify um but it is common is regression and that's when you revert to behaviors or emotions of an earlier developmental stage. Um, if you haven't heard our episode on developmental stages, I believe it's episode 17, if I'm not mistaken. But I think it's called Life and Its Stages. We see this when maybe something happens in our life and it's maybe overwhelming, stressful, anxiety-inducing, and we regress or revert to a stage in our life where maybe we didn't have to deal with these types of things, where we felt safer, If you haven't passed through a developmental stage in what is considered the quote-unquote healthy way, you might regress to the last stage where you did, where maybe, you know, you felt accomplished um, and you achieved the goals of that particular developmental stage. So you might regress to a previous developmental stage because that was where you were last successful or to a stage where you didn't have to deal with the life choices or the reality of the current stage that you're in. That was really well put. And it's so funny to me because now I feel like this is the thing about defenses. They have their own categorizations, right? But if you think about regression and then you think about something like repression, you can regress to a point in time where you would constantly repress. Does that make sense? Um, Because you don't want to deal with it, right? So like there's this trigger that happens and you're like, oh, going back to old ways because I'm not dealing with this now. So it could be a regression to an old defense mechanism. Yeah. Also, the brain is a pretty fascinating <laughs> uh, organ. Oh, and so this next one, y'all love to do this one. I'm going to call you out. And that's displacement. Um, and that's when <laughs> you redirect an emotion um, or an emotional reaction from its rightful recipient to another person or other people altogether. So this is when, let's say you're at work, your manager is overreacting, they're yelling at you, they're coming down your throat for something, and obviously you can't yell back at your boss because you will get fired, okay? So what do you do? You go home, you yell at your kids or your partner or your brother or sister or someone who, in your mind, you are superior to, that you feel comfortable letting out those emotions that were not theirs, that they didn't cause, 
Um, but because you couldn't let them out with the person who originally caused those emotions, you displace it to someone else. Yeah. So essentially it's a, it's a higher functioning way of projecting. Projection is like this very immature way of just kind of, it's like word vomit almost like you're just putting it out there and you don't really recognize, but then just the same way a person can differentiate like I can't yell at my boss that shows a more mature level of functioning they can differentiate that and then they can go to someone where they un- like they intuitively understand that they they are more comfortable with and then just kind of put the emotions on them without realizing yeah I mean I think the first half of it seems very mature uh this one this next one is a, probably a lot more common but I don't think that people notice it as much I used to do I personally used to do this a lot when I was in like high school and college maybe even a little bit of grad school until I realized what I was doing and it's reaction formation um and you probably haven't heard of this one if, unless you're in the psych world but it's when you behave or express the opposite of your true feelings so let's say men right? You feel insecure about your masculinity, so you might act overly aggressive. Or there's someone that you really fear or you dislike, but you act the complete opposite. You act like they're your favorite person, like you you act as if you respect them when you don't. And I think that this one is... I'll say for me, I felt like it was more protective because I... For when I was kind of having these reactions, it was like... I really can't afford to have these negative feelings about this person. So I was like, if I act like I like them, maybe these feelings will go away. Yeah, exactly. And it's just more tolerable to live within the like the existence of that those feelings or whatever Mm -hmm. it is you like something is bringing out of you as a and not dealing with the conflict that it brings up. Mm -hmm. So next we have sublimation. And that's when you channel sexual or unacceptable urges into a productive outlet. So I think it has to do with the fact that you can't express certain feelings um, and it won't be accepted as normal. So you have like these feelings that can't really be shown, but you want to show them. So it kind of goes back to fantasies and like your desires. And then we find ways to actually meet that need or that feeling through the norm. Right. So let's say an artist is sublimating their feelings through of exhibitionism, which is like being seen or just kind of being out there and like wanting to show themselves and like like sexually. Um, and then they'll show that through their art in a symbolic manner. And it's socially acceptable. And it doesn't have to be sexual, by the way. It could just be Mm-mm. any desire that you feel wouldn't be socially accepted right so there's another example in the definition um a a surgeon cuts people open right so let's say you have a lot of regression that you want to express and it's taboo to like go up to somebody and punch them in the face well you're getting that aggression out by like cutting people open and it's exciting and it allows you to discharge that feeling in a socially accepted manner and then voila surgeons are revered right because they save people's lives so it's acceptable absolutely um and i will say these next two are again my personal pet peeves so i apologize in advance if i sound real judgy uh because i have a lot of strong feelings about these next two so Next, we have intellectualization. 
Whew. And that's when you focus on the intellectual rather than the emotional consequences of a situation. So, for example, let's say your roommate unexpectedly moves out before the lease is over. You're probably feeling sad, lonely, angry. Um, and instead of expressing that, you might conduct a detailed financial analysis about how this affects you and, you know, what are the consequences or what are the legal ramifications of this person moving out before the lease is over rather than expressing that the that you're upset, but you don't feel like that's okay to express. So you're like, well, what is a more acceptable way to to say this? And of course you you turn to maybe like legal or something tangible that you feel like the other person can't argue against because you are looking to validate how you feel but not by actually expressing what you feel. So intellectualization is the actual acknowledgement of a feeling without feeling it. And intellectualization can happen for many reasons. Like if your feelings were never validated, right? Like your actual feelings, it's easier to turn to logic, right? Because no one can refute logic, whereas people a lot of times refute emotions. Um, It helps you sometimes if you want to maintain control over a situation, right? Because emotions often feel overwhelming. They feel irrational. They feel illogical. Like they're very subjective, right? Because how someone feels, how Sasha feels about a certain situation can differ from how I feel from a situation. So who's to say who's right or wrong, right? Um, But logic oftentimes can't be discussed in those ways and like is who's right and who's wrong and it's just easier sometimes to deal with things like to deal with things through logic when you don't know how to emotionally regulate um and people we live in a society that responds a lot more to intellectualization more to rationalization where like we want something tangible to hold on to so I think it's one of those defense mechanisms that gets, again, validated a lot by society because we live in a world that loves facts, that loves evidence, that loves like what can be seen on paper, on an Excel sheet, whatever the case may be. Um, whereas emotions, again, we don't live in a society that like respects or honors or makes space for them. Yes, I agree. And I and I I don't think intellect intellectualization is all bad. I think that mm-hmm. we all I, I know that I do it too, so maybe I'm like projecting right now. But like I do it a lot with science, especially with regards to feelings that I have. So like I'll say like, Oh, that makes sense. I haven't gotten sleep. I haven't, you know, eaten well. I haven't taken my medicine. Like something of how I'm feeling will be intellectualized and I almost remove the feeling from myself by saying like, oh, but this is, there's a fact behind this. So there's a reason behind it as opposed to actually experiencing the emotion, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I think it it makes sense, especially with the whole science piece. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that there's a reason why we say to feel the feelings. Because I think at the end of the day, I, and I feel like a lot of times when we're experiencing intellectualization, all of those things 
are definitely true. And I think that we can still get to that place where we're able to intellectualize and able to kind of like come up with a more rational, logical, whatever explanation for whatever it is that we're experiencing. But I think that what happens is the feeling still lingers under the surface. So it doesn't matter what logical explanation you have, like you're still going to have those feelings just kind of like bubbling underneath and that's the problem like have the feeling and then turn to that logic or you know and then experience that because I think like you'll never really fully get over it because you never gave yourself a chance to experience what you were actually feeling and my other pet peeve um and I think I oh I I say people are rationalizing a lot when they're intellectualizing and um I want to make sure that we're able to separate because they're very similar Um, so rationalization is a defense mechanism that involves explaining an unacceptable behavior or feeling in a rational or logical manner, avoiding the true reasons for the behavior. So an example is a student who's rejected from their dream college may explain that they're happy to be attending a school that's less competitive because it's going to be more welcoming for them. Or after divorce, someone may convince themselves that their ex-partner wasn't up to their standards and that the split is a blessing in disguise because now they can travel. Now they have the freedom that they've always wanted, right? So the explanations guard against difficult emotions where maybe you're feeling unworthy, unloved, um, and really, rationalization is used to protect the person's self-esteem and their sense of self-concept because they can't tolerate what that particular behavior means about them. So when their ego is really like bruised and they can't accept like, oh, this happened to me, what do I really think that that means about me, whether that's true or not, right? Taking that that out. Um, they can't handle what they believe it means about them. So they come up with a more rationalized explanation for why this is maybe like a blessing in disguise, or it's still a good outcome, even though that's not what they wanted, because they can't accept what it means about them. Yeah. I find it interesting that these are your two pet peeves, though, because <laughs> I thought I, I personally feel like people who have these defense mechanisms, um, they there's a thin line between, you know, being narcissistic and living in your world where your self-concept is the one that you have to preserve versus rationalizing and being having the ability to intellectualize or rationalize other people's experiences within your own. Right. Because I feel like these are like higher in on the maturity level to the point where you're able to say like okay this is my self-concept how can I integrate other people's and how does this make sense to me and how can I rationalize this along with mine right that's where you get to a point with neuroses specifically where you can over you can think to the point beyond yourself I think that what I see with a lot of people who are intellectual and rational is that they invalidate my feelings because they don't have the ability to see themselves for who they are. And I think that that's the problem for me. I feel like a lot of times I've dealt with people who are very intellectual intellectual and rational and they're like this doesn't make sense or here's the silver like I feel like people who are rational they're very like what's the silver lining they're very much like toxic positivity and then people who are intellectual it's like 
if I have a feeling and it doesn't necessarily correlate in their mind with what's the reality of the situation, they're like, but that doesn't make sense. And it's like, I don't care that my feelings don't make sense to you. I'm feeling these feelings. So I think like I've just been invalidated a lot by people who are intellectual and people who are rational because I feel like sometimes they don't have the capacity to see what's going on for themselves. And then they push that onto me. And I, I just have not liked it in the past. And I, I feel like I deal with a lot of intellectual people and a lot of rational people. And I think that when I try to challenge them on like, well, maybe this is what you're feeling, they try to, it almost feels like I'm being gaslit into believing that I'm crazy. And I think for a long time, I let, I let them do that to me. And I'm kind of getting to the place where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to allow you to do that. So I just kind of like let them live in their own reality. And I'm just like, listen, if you don't want to see what I'm seeing, that's, that's, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but this is what I'm seeing and I'm going to stick to that. Cause I, I think like, it's just affected me negatively a lot. Defenses are necessary, right? For our everyday mm-hmm. living. And I think I get caught up in trying, in trying to find an actual I guess touchstone of what reality is because and and then I I've I've come to a point where I'm realizing like I think we all live in our own realities. Mhm. And mm-hmm. having these defense mechanisms help us uh, live in those realities um with each other if that makes sense. Um like there's never going to be one set true definition of what reality is. There's just always going to be a bunch of little realities in your group, your subgroups, or just the world. And we're all trying to find a way to just tolerate each other so that we don't get ego bruised, right? Um, and it's so interesting to me when I think of it like that, because like, what's right, what's wrong, right? Like that's, that's this, this is when it becomes a philosophical conversation, but it's crazy to me how we all have these functions kind of working in the back and we're not even paying attention to other people's experiences because our experience is the main one because we are ego driven. Yeah. And I think that for me is also part of the reason why it is a pet peeve, because if you listen to any like relationship experts and we usually, these people usually are referring to couples, but a lot of the things that they're referring to are actually things that can go across like friendships because they're all relationships right at the end of the day whether romantic or not right um and I think that a lot of one of the things that relationships experts always say is that in this is what I'm seeing right there's like you have to speak from a place of like I right like and you have to make sure that you don't center your own reality as the truth because the other person also like to your point has their own reality and I think that for me what I see a lot with people who are intellectual or rational, they take their reality as the reality um, that's going on. And I think like, because I'm a person who, I think I take a lot of responsibility for things that are not mine to take responsibility for. I feel like that's why when I have like maybe a discussion or try to communicate with the person who's very rational and intellectual, they're like, but this is the reality. And I'm like, but this is my reality. And they're like, no, your reality is not valid because this is the reality. And I think that that's where the disconnect comes from because 
the intellectual or rational person is now is not allowing for the other person's reality to enter into the conversation because I do agree with you I think that we all have our own realities because our all our life experiences shape how we see the world so again like we can both knock on wood get into a car accident and you might be super thankful that you came out alive and I'm just like oh my god I'm having a panic attack right and it's all based on what we've like experienced in our own life but I think that when you don't allow the other person's reality to enter the conversation it makes it very difficult to be in relationship with someone who's intellectual or rational. At least that's been my experience. That's why I said it's a personal pet peeve. So I want to say that everything that I've said up until this point is very much a crystal personal um, (laughs) thing, but that's just been my experience. You know, it's so interesting because I, with regards to intellectualization specifically, I, I can relate to it a little bit because what happens when you abuse this mechanism, right? It becomes like your go-to. Um, you almost like stop the ability to like have play or uh, have fun in sex or just be funny. Like it's almost like you're you're with a person who's like extremely rigid. So I see intellectualization more like an inward as opposed to an outward experience um, because it's intellectualization. Like for me, like I'll intellectualize why I need to isolate. As opposed to why I need to like push my agenda onto other people. Sometimes I do, because uh, sometimes I feel very strongly about it. And I'm like, we're gonna we're gonna hash this out because I need to be validated right now. But for the most part, like I'll feel like, all right, whatever. I'll just let it go, right? Like I'll into especially as a therapist, I'll intellectualize like, oh, but they're going through X Y Z. They're feeling da 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 da, and then I'll okay, whatever. And it'll still bubble underneath the surface, but I'm like past it, supposedly past it. Um, so it's I feel like there's like two sides of the the spectrum almost. Like I, I never thought of it as gaslighting, but I do see how like intellectual intellectualization could be people gaslighting or just like a very yeah. I don't know, it's it gets so messy. Sorry, I'm like spinning. Well, I mean, I will say gaslighting is also something that's very intentionally done. So I don't know that. um, That's why I said I feel like I'm being gaslighted and as opposed to saying I am being gaslighted, because I think sometimes gas like when people gaslight, it's it's pretty intentional. Um, They 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 have a they have the desire to distort your reality for their own personal gain. So that's why I was trying to be. That's why I said a feel. I don't necessarily think that it's on purpose. Um, but I think like what you said, like I need to be validated. And I think that that for me was like, yes, I think that's what that's exactly what um, people who turn to that mechanism want. They want to be validated. And I think sometimes in their need to be validated, me personally, I feel like I'm invalidated because of their need to be validated because I feel like I try I don't I can't say I'm always successful to hold space for both truths but I find that when I don't feel like my truth is being allowed into the space that I tend to like start to push back against it too so I feel like it's one of those things that it's kind of very easy to get sucked in um too and it's easy to like completely miss and that's why they're my my pet peeves it's hard to refute it um, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it has to do with uh, personality preferences 
um that that's exactly mm-hmm, what it is like, right? like like for me like i'll i don't mind talking about this all day long as long as like we can have like an intellectual conversation about it right but like i get what you're saying now that now it makes sense because if you don't feel like you can back up what you're expressing or feeling it can feel almost like the person's overwhelming you i see so it's an it's a it's an it's a part it could also be a personal experience of it as Mm -hmm. well right um but that's so interesting because i think that that goes into one of the the next points that i wanted to talk about with regards to defenses when you start to pinpoint how people defend their ego um and again this isn't a bad thing right you you can see so much about them without Mm -hmm. them having to tell you what they've experienced Mm um you it's like a a language and so like a lot of people especially now that i've been practicing for a while a lot of people will be like how did you know that about me like i'll meet people and i'll I'll ask about the relationship but i have a hunch that they were neglected i'll have a hunch that okay they came from a one-parent household versus a two-parent household right this is like silent language that starts happening um especially with regards to defenses and how people will explain their feelings versus explaining other people's feelings um and you can start sensing like oh this is what this person has experienced and a lot of times people think like you know are you in my head and it's like no actually we're always conveying these messages mm-hmm. to each other in a nonverbal way without really recognizing what we're doing yeah i find it so funny because people use defenses to like shield themselves and i'm like the defense mechanism is actually revealing everything that you don't want someone to know if someone's actually like paying attention like you it says a lot about people so i always find it kind of like funny yeah it's <laughs> Again, ironic as very well. like personal yeah and I think that this is where it becomes slippery for me right and I'll I'll use my defenses to understand the other person um because I can spot when someone's being defensive right away like I I really do feel it and maybe if I'm not in the mood to deal with it or whatever it'll bring up my defenses um but it, it's so telling and how like I get triggered and how I see other people triggering like their triggers to me without recognizing it. Like, so like they, there's so much information to read just in an interaction with somebody. I just want to point out that it becomes difficult to manage just because you can see it, right? Like there has to be a line where you self-preserve as well. So like if you mm-hmm. see somebody who has experienced trauma and they're afraid of the world and they're afraid of you or they don't, you know, they don't necessarily get close to you or and it's like there has to be a point in time where, yeah, you can understand it intellectually and, and feel empathy and under, like get that. But then there has to be a point in time where you're like, all right, I need to get something out of this as well. Right. Like I'm tired. Like it, it, it's it's a weird balance because then I'm always at work um because i could read defense defenses does that make sense so like for example i at work if i'm having issues with a colleague right and then the colleague tells me what they're experiencing i'll feel like oh okay that makes sense and then invalidate whatever it is that i'm experiencing because i can understand them but there has to come a point in time where people start understanding how they're showing up and recognizing maybe not even recognizing that like oh this is my defense and this is what I do because that's a very mature process and it takes time to get there but just recognizing like I'm stepping on this person's toes as well this is not just my lived experience right 
Right. Um, yeah, and I think that the reason why we're talking about defense mechanisms is because I don't think that people really see them for themselves, but I think like to when you get to that point, like what you're saying, I think then it's your responsibility, and I don't just mean you, Sasha, but I mean the person who's experiencing that same um, thing that you're talking about to set a boundary, right? And I think like at that point, like you can't, the, the, the separation between you and the other comes from like, I have to set a boundary because now, even though I can understand what you're going through, now you're crossing a line to where this is affecting me. And at the end of the day, like you are, and I'm, when I say you, I mean, anyone listening, you are the only one that can protect yourself from these, these types of things. Like at some point you have to take on that responsibility, um, as well. Absolutely. And it reminds me so much of, um, the secure, the attachment episode that we did, because we talked a lot about relationships and you wonder how come certain people match with different kinds of people like not everyone's for you like I feel like you just said that indirectly like certain defenses you can't tolerate and you won't be able to tolerate and no one expects you to right and then there are other people that you will be able to tolerate and kind of have the lines blurred a little bit and it's it's a little it's not as um it's it's not as intense with regards to your your feeling of this person right um and it has a lot to do with how your defenses just kind of meet um mm-hmm. and that's another defenses are a huge part in how we engage in relationships absolutely yeah no i agree um and i again i think it's one of those things where we definitely want to be aware we definitely want to move past it um with the understanding that they're not all bad they come from uh, they come from a place of need of survival of wanting to be in the world and feel semi safe in that in that world I just hope that you know as with this podcast and anyone who listens that you're able to kind of sit with yourself see your defense mechanisms and see yourself for who you are right um and and work through it And with that, that was our episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you were able to learn some things. Definitely make sure to check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Never Told Us Pod or send us an email at nevertoldispod at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. Start reflecting because that's the whole point of this. <laughs> and uh, come back next time so we can keep telling you what they never told us.